Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Post Ride Cafe. I'm Sam. This is Aaron. And uh, we're on episode three. Three of three. Yeah, three. <laughs> Just three. I don't know how long this is going to take to get old, but I'm going to keep saying it every damn week. Uh, well, let's uh, get right into it, man. That's uh, our Strava Stats of the Week. Well, this, this week I did 97.8 miles. Sadly, I did not crest 100, but... I was a little embarrassed by last week's climbing feat, and I've just kind of had a shitty start to the year for climbing, so I went ahead and did some climbing this week. I did 5,700, almost 5,800 feet. Uh, not, not, not a bad week for me. Still only three rides. I just It's really tough for me to get that fourth ride in. Um, just busy. So Anyway, how'd you do, man? Uh, I did pretty good. I was going to say, you know, right off, though. Almost 5,800 feet, just under 100 miles, I think is pretty good. Just going climbing feet per mile it is one of my favorite stats it's, that's kind of how i judge people on strava it's it's a good one i mean you can't do it as much out here just because it's a lot flatter um yeah you definitely have to kind of go out of your way to find climbs or as you know we'll find out maybe later in this episode you have to kind of do a little repeats of some small climb just to kind of get some feet uh, at least especially in our side of phoenix it's a little flatter Yep. Uh, so I was at 189 miles this week, uh, 6,713 feet. Oh, so you were going to be so exact. <laughs> just saying, I mean, you were almost there on climbing feet with far less miles. So good on you, man. Someone's got to carry the torch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, a good week for both of us. Uh, unfortunately, for some reason, you didn't quite crest 200, but... Uh, Don't you know, know what happened. <laughs> we won't talk about that. <laughs> uh, ne- next time. The next thing is, you know, rides of the week. You know, what, what was our favorite ride this week if we had one? Um, you know, for me, I had kind of two, I guess. One was just a little blip. On Saturday, you and I did a ride out to Sonoran Parkway. Pretty popular place for, like, time trialists. And pretty much, I mean, just anyone to ride a bike, really. But there's just a lot of time trialists out there. It's kind of flat. There's a little bit of not really steep hills or anything, but it kind of goes up and down, but really low gradients. It's a long interrupted stretch too, so I think that's the really nice thing. You can just do a turnaround, what, probably 16 miles or something, fairly uninterrupted. Yeah, 15 or 16 miles. Yeah, it's a, it's, but it's, yeah, so like you said, there's no street lights, there's nothing, you know, so it's just open highway with a little bit of up, a little bit of down, and Again, that's over-dramatizing, and it's like 1% or 2% at the highest, you know, so just tons of time trialists. So we rode from our house to there and back, and ended up being 40 miles. And for me, it was a, it was a highlight because it was a 20-mile average uh, speed for me. So that's the second time I've, this year I've been able to hold 20 miles an hour uh, for such a long period of time. So it was a pretty big milestone for me, and, and just more to come. Like I said, you know, my goal is to hit the A groups, and so if I can keep this up and... You know, I think my average heart rate was in the low 160s. So if I can keep that up, I can feel pretty confident I can do an A group without killing myself. Um, and that's, we were not friendly, uh, or the, to say the lights were not friendly to us. So getting, you know, 20 miles an hour average was pretty good. You know, harder than it should have been. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not really one to, like, care about that stuff. I know you and one of our other buddies really talks about stoplights or this or that and i'm like dude like over the lifetime of the year or whatever like that stuff averages out you know and like but you know it is nice to consider i mean we did definitely hit a lot of lights that damn day. yeah no i'm just saying it's you know even better you know than what it could have been sure no definitely i guess i just suck i should have been 20 and a half 
<laughs> All right. So the other highlight of my week was uh, we ended up going to uh, SOMO, as we call it, uh, South Mountain. And every week they have, uh, usually in the morning, it's like 7 or 5 till 10 a.m., they close the road down to traffic. So only, you know, hikers or bicyclists or whatever, you know, horses or people on, you know, scooters or skateboards sometimes uh, can go up there. And uh, on the fourth Sunday of the of the month, which was this uh, Sunday, it's closed all day long. So it's a nice day to just get some climbing in without any restriction and no cars to almost kill you on the descent or on the ascent. Yeah, and you could stay there practically all day, so it's really nice. You could. I think two hours about cuts it for me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these, these days. But um, the reason that's such a good highlight for myself is... Um, I wasn't able to beat my PR up the mountain. Uh, my PR is about 28 minutes, but I did take another minute off of my time from last year when I kind of picked riding, uh, took a couple years off of cycling, and, and my previous PR since then, I've taken about almost three minutes off this year. So I'm getting close. I was at 30 minutes and 55 seconds and really close to that 28.01. So only about three minutes to go. And, you know, between that and the... The, the weight I gained over those couple of years I took off of cycling, I've gotten half of that gone now, so I have another 15 pounds to go, uh, maybe 10, uh, and then I can probably crush that PR, I think, no problem. I but, hope uh, so, man. You got you got a new bike now, too, so if you're back true. down to, to fighting weight, you, you better be better. That's true. Well, I mean, if I'm holding 20 miles an hour on 40-mile rides, I feel like my power is getting there, and so, um, you know, I... I would be pretty disappointed if I couldn't beat my PR this year. That's no, definitely I think so, dude. I'll I'll pace you up one if we if we have to. I don't know if you've ever paced me up anything, dude. Uh, you dusted true. me up stuff. Hundred percent true. <laughs> I uh, I am not giving uh, on the bike. No, you like to just <laughs> suck the wheels. I mean, you should join that wheel suckers club that they have out here, dude. That just fits you to a T. Yeah, you know, gotta get gotta get the KO on somehow. That's true. Uh, that's an you know I think that's a sub goal for me. I want to get. I think I said it before, maybe I didn't, but I want a couple KOMs again. I haven't, every time I seem to get one, it goes away in a day, so. Dude, we're, I know which one we're getting you. That's true, we're going to get that one. It's a flat, which I hate, but I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, shows are quick, either That's way. true. Well, uh, what about you, man? Do you have a ride of the week? I do. So on Monday, it was a holiday, as many people in the U.S. know, so I, I what, took. What holiday was that, do you remember? Uh, MLK Day. All right, there you go. So I had the day off, so I decided to do a long ride, 71 miles, which was from where I'm at, which is the Phoenix-Glendale border, down to Tempe. Um, haven't ridden out there in, in quite some time. So I kind of made it a leisurely. Uh, I wasn't going for any specific times or speeds or anything like that. Uh, hit a couple of the climbs that I, I like to do. One was Castle. Uh, and then down in Tempe, there's a hill called Curry uh, that kind of just crests over. You see the Mill Avenue Bridge and the University and things over there. And I had I had to take <laughs> I had to one up you. Uh, you were I don't know where you were at on the on the all time uh, list, or I don't know, think where either of us are that high. But I'm better than you now. So the, yeah, you ended up beating me by one second on that segment. And uh, for the record. Uh, I'm 155th place. So. Oh, yeah, so we're not even close. Yeah, I mean, our the PR is 31 seconds, and, or the KOM is 31 seconds, and we're at 42, and I'm at 43, so 
it's not really my my style of climb. It's it's just not hard enough, so people can hit it a lot faster than than I can. Um, that's on my radar. I'm gonna beat 42 seconds. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bare minimum, you know. I gotta get two seconds more off my time. But yeah, it was a good day. Uh, yeah, not a bad little day for you. It looked like it was um, 100 or 1400 feet. So. Average of 18 miles an hour, you know, for yourself on the 71 mile is, is pretty good. Yeah, and it just, you know, I wanted to explore a little bit and go further. I, I think I plan on throwing, I, I, beforehand I was doing, last year I was doing at least a, a metric century every month, if not several. So I, I want to get back to that. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to do a lot of stuff. I want to do some racing and all that, but... I think getting a few longer rides in a month is is kind of necessary. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where I want to get longer rides in, mostly because I don't have as much free time uh, to as you to dedicate to cycling. So I need to get my miles in and hopefully, you know, less rides. Like right now, I can dedicate at most four days, and that's pushing it right with my schedule. And like I've been averaging about three days. So you know, with the with the summer coming and the the light staying. Uh, the sunset staying a little longer before the sunsets, I can actually get a little bit longer in on my after work rides. So I'm hoping I can be able to crest a hundred pretty easily on just three rides a week and get my average up to, you know, 30 minimum per, per ride. Per ride that yeah. is. Yeah. Right now I'm like, I think last year it was just under 20 or right around 20, you know, so I want to bring it up to 30 and then I want to do, try to do one long, quote unquote, long for me, you know, 50 plus ride is still a lot for me. Yeah, I think I'd like to have at least 31. <laughs> <laughs> 31 miles a ride? Yeah. <clears throat> That's an interesting goal. It's, uh, no particular reason. I wonder how you got to 31. That's a very strange number. Well, uh, moving on, let's get to our topics of the week. So just a, just a quick one real quick at the first, you know, Tour of Oman was canceled this year. They, uh, the leader of Oman... You know, the royalty had passed away, and so they have a month of mourning, which happens to be at the same time as the Tour of Oman. So, you know, it's upsetting that, uh, you know, a race gets canceled, and it's never good. You know, obviously they're going to have their month of mourning, and that's that's good on them. But, you know, I'm sure, I don't know how the Peloton feels, you know. It's like the calendar's getting so stuffed that, like, having a cancellation is probably not the end of their lives. Yeah, they probably don't care too, too much, I would imagine. I, I don't know if anyone's real peaking for that race. The only thing I think is kind of odd is you're putting so much focus on these Middle Eastern races and the money that those teams are pumping into it, and then something like this happens, and it's like, well, maybe we can't rely on you as much. It's, you know, it's a one-off, so maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it's extraneous circumstances. I mean, but yeah, you're right. The Middle East is becoming a big part of cycling and even China, you know, and so, you know, it's... it's. I'm just trying to think if part. another country would do the same is is, uh, is all, you know. If, if Tour Qatar? No, I mean, like if, you know, say in France or something, if a, a high political figure or something died, would they... Would they cancel it? Oh, no, not even close. Yeah, so, so that's all I'm kind of getting at. Yeah, but it's just a different culture, I suppose, where they have those months of mourning or whatever. Like, you know, we just don't have those here in the West, so to speak. You know, we have, I mean, unless it's Kobe Bryant, I guess. That's topical, right? Like, everywhere you look is Kobe, and, like, 
everyone just, they're in a state of mourning right now. It's shock. Too soon, man. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon to bring it up. All right. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have the uh, UCI Gravel Worlds, maybe, you know? So we had the, the leader of the UCI, I can't even pronounce his name, LaPierre, <coughs> had mentioned uh, that maybe, hey, gravel's kind of becoming a thing. We want to get in on it. And, you know, the riders that ride gravel were not very thrilled. Yeah, I I mean, it, it's, you can definitely see that's where things are going. It's kind of a little bit of a bummer, just that are like, we can make money on this, Let, let's go for that, where you're ignoring lots of other things that could be done and, you know, safety issues and doping, all these other things that, you know, that were supposed to be at the forefront. And yeah, they're but like, cost them money. Dude. Yeah, it doesn't make money. They so that, make that's money. where they're getting, and, you know, like Lachlan Morton's like, we already have Dirty Kanza, and there's kind of an official one out in Lincoln as well. Well, it's self-recognized by gravel riders, which is important. Yeah, which is really, for most people who are riding that, is the only recognition they need. Yeah. So it's... Well, that's the interesting thing about gravel, right? Where it's like, you know, cross is kind of the the in-between, right? And it's become more popular in America especially, and now gravel is moving into that spot where, like, you know, cross in America anyway seems to be more legitimate and there's, like, better writers and people are taking it more serious, you know, and, and I'm assuming that's always been the case, but the people I, I hang out with or I, I know that do cross are kind of just doing it for the fun and I kind of like the, they epitomize like what gravel is now where like, you know, they want to have their beer stops and they're just there to chill and like go on this long ride and it's an adventure and, you know, they don't want it to be bogged down in a bunch of politics and pro teams and race radios and power meters and, you know, they, they want it to stick to their tried and true gravel roots. So, you know, it's not surprising that the UCI wants to come in and make a race because they want to make money. And to them, they're like, um, hey, we're legitimizing your sport. Or, you know, it's just kind of condescending and not understanding or appreciating the, you know, the atmosphere and the spirit of what gravel is currently. Yeah. You know, people don't really like change, right? They don't want to see gravel that they've helped grow and see it as this different race and different environment from pro racing. Yeah, and I think it's kind of you losing something, that the essence of it or what people, what it was meant to be. And I don't know, there's lots of those kinds of changes going on. Most recently, they were talking about should they change the Tour Down Under. And it has changed in the past i guess because you know griples won it and it became it was more of a a sprinter's thing at at a point at least and now everything builds up basically to wolonga hill and everything's very tight up until that point which i don't know to me i don't think it really needs change just because it's still unknown up until that point and Besides the fact that probably Richie Port's going to win if, if he's there. There's not really much. Nobody else is really peaking for that. So it's going to be a climber. But I seems, personally... Seems like massive shade thrown at Daryl Impey. Dude, I mean... He won it two years in a row. And then you're over here like, I mean, the only person who could win it is Richie Port. I mean, that's that's just a massive shade. What do you hate, South Africans, dude? I mean, he well, he won the last six on... On Wolonga. Wolonga Hill, for sure. But, like, the race in general, Daryl Impey is, uh, is, you know, he knows how to play the numbers. Let's put All it right. that way. 
I mean, you know, some people might think that maybe they should get rid of time bonuses. Some maybe people, that, maybe some that people be a might change. say that. I mean, that's pretty funny and like, you know, I don't know. I thought that was the most interesting part of this Tour Down Under is the time bonuses and like seeing Mads Peterson race and fight for them over Daryl Impey. You know, I thought that was a pretty cool aspect of this race. And, you know, as far as changing the race, I don't know what they could really realistically change or add or alter a little bit without totally changing the spirit of the race because, you know, you have a climbing day, you have like a mid-mountain day, and you have mostly sprints and stuff. Like you don't have, you know, maybe you can get like a better breakaway stage. Like I think that's fair. You know, and like, but adding a time trial into this wouldn't make a ton of sense, but it wouldn't be the end of the world either. Like, you kind of get one of everything, but then at the end of the day, then you're just turning into every other one week. Stages. Yeah, and I so. think I think it's fine. I was kind of thinking back where you were saying time bonuses. Uh, the Tour of California that Sagan won, he won it on basically time bonuses, and it was so close and it made it an amazing win because he pushed so hard to not lose too much time. I think it was on Mount Baldy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then was just, I think he was three seconds or something off. And I think he had third place at the finish and needed third place to win overall. Yeah. And he had went out and tried to get time bonuses in between, and the other teams were fighting and sending up their sprinters to... Uh, to negate any time bonuses for him and it was just that last couple days was just just really cool yeah i mean i think you know having a tight race like that especially for a week race like it's not always the case that week races are like that in my opinion you know like it's either like one big mountain stage or a time trial and then there's a guy that's gonna win you know like having these stage races where like you said you know with Saganek. I'm pretty sure he wasn't, you know, eating any cookies doing a wheelie that year, you know, but, <laughs> no. you know, he actually had a chance to do something, and so he was motivated, unlike this year, and uh, he fought for those bonuses and it made the race exciting, right? That's what you said, and I, I agree. And the same thing happened in the Tour Down Under this year. You know, he, Darren Limpy was fighting for those time bonuses, and it just made the race more exciting, and so I think if you altered it too much and it became, like, an obvious winner, it would lose a little bit of that excitement, but... You know, with the with the leader, the director of that race retiring and Stuart O'Grady coming in, you know, there's this desire to put your stamp, as they said. And I mean, maybe everyone's blowing it out of proportion, and he wants just to tinker with it and add one like breakaway stage or something like that. Maybe he's going to change up the colors or something. Dude, everyone could, could go orange. <laughs> I mean, we already got ochre, so it's yeah, the whatever non-ochre jersey. Huh? That would probably be worse than anything if you change that. That's true. I mean, with leader jerseys, it looks a little weird to have a mountains jersey. Like, you have one mountain stage. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But overall, I mean, I thought the Tour Down Under was pretty interesting. I didn't watch it much before this year. I've kind of just, it's the first race of the year, so I don't really pay too much attention. So, um, but I figured we can do a little stage recap. Yeah. Let's go for it. All stage right. one. Stage one, well, Bennett scores one for the Wolf Pack. You know, it was a sprint finish as we expected, and it was a, you know, you get to see all these um, teams work together for the first time of the year and new riders on new teams, so it's kind of cool to see what you think might happen, and wasn't too surprising to see Bennett come away with the win on that. No, I think their train had stayed roughly uh, um, similar to last year. 
So it's basically what they do is just pop in a, another good sprinter, which they, they've done for the last five, five years or so. Um, so they didn't have to do work, you know, too much changes. And he's obviously great, so he's even not on top form. He's, he's going to get some wins. I mean, I think he has a great first name, so I'm always going to cheer for him. He was the best. He was the best writer on uh, Bora last year, so uh, nothing wrong with that either. Oof, it's true. Maybe what? Ackerman. Maybe Ackerman. <laughs> Ackerman had a pretty good year. Yeah. What about stage two? What happened? Caleb Ewan, not unexpected. He'd taken that. Um, what was it? The, the criterion. Not the, was it the crit? Yeah, it's they like called a, it some, the Schwab Schwable Classic. Yeah, whatever. It's not a real. Yeah, it's just a little crit. But good to see him doing well. Not, you know, also not surprising. Just, I think, in the same way as Port, he peaks a little bit for being an Australian race. They do the crit series. Uh, maybe it changes up a little bit now that he's not on an Australian team. Um, yeah, but, but they're always going to target this race. But they look him. good. Their, their lead-out train, I thought, was very strong and controlling the race. Well, like we said in... Uh an episode that we haven't even aired, our team episode. We were talking about Lada Sudal, and maybe we'll never make those episodes at this point. I don't know. But one of the things we had talked about is that Lada Sudal is just a great team, and we just really like them. Like, they don't have any, like, big superstars for, like, GC or anything, and, like, they just work, and they're just fun to watch as a team. And so you kind of see that. They all work together. They have teamwork. You know, you... It seems like they're all in it together, and I think that's pretty cool. And And one of the things about... Uh, Caleb Ewan that's really crazy is like his position on a sprint is so low that guy is tucked down he's like hanging over the front of his bars it's insane I don't know how he does it it's it's like a surfboard he's like just like flat and like super low on his bars and like everyone else is kind of up and like just fighting their bars and that dude's just like riding a wave or something I, I need to learn how to do that because I would assume we're a similar size although I'm sure he's much stronger uh, a little bit <laughs> yeah but I was like, if I could do that, that would be amazing. Got to get that tuck, dude. Yeah. Uh, which takes us to stage three where we had a little bit of an uphill finish and, well, Port won that. He had delivered on Torrens Hill Road. The finale of that stage was pretty interesting and, you know, you get to watch this on, what, NBC Sports Gold or whatever, right? Yeah, it was which on is, Gold. You know, a pretty awesome service and one of the things that kind of sucks being in America is it's really hard to see a lot of races because they're not on TV here. Not even that we don't have like the right channel, they just don't air them. And so it's always nice when you get one on NBC Sports Gold and you can actually watch the race and not have to be watching it live or watching highlights. But you know, this one I ended up just watching highlights anyway, so go figure. The, um, you know, so the finale is pretty cool. It's like everyone's getting set up for the hill and then Port just says, all right, see you guys, and just takes off. Yeah, Gone. it was a completely different level than, than everyone else. Well, that's what happens when one person, you know, peaks for a race. Not Daryl Impey, but just like <laughs> Yeah, he looked really good. You know, it's one of those things with Port where, like, I feel he had it pretty rough, right? He had those two crashes in the Tour de France, you know, whatever stage it was, nine or eight or whatever. It's usually like, around seven. I think that everyone's like, if he can get past seven. Is that what it was? It was in the, it, it was in the first week, basically. Yeah. And I... You know, for the longest time, like, Trek has always been my team. You know, they had Contador, and then they had Cancellara, and so when they got poured, I was like, awesome. Like, they don't, you know, pick somebody up at the very end of their career. Now they did that with Nibley, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, they picked up Port, and I was like, dude, this is, we have our chance. We have our GC guy, like, 
you know, we have our chance to finally, like, maybe make a dent, and then he crashes out. And like, he looked great those years. And so seeing him look so good in the Tour Down Under it gets me excited that he might have a chance to podium there. I don't think he'll win the Tour de France. I think it's just so competitive right now with Roglic and... The teams are just stacked. Yeah, there's just so many good riders. So uh, I think Port's probably not going to win it, but... I think podium is a very realistic option for him, and if he can build up his time trialing again, like he definitely will be a force. So I'm just, you know, nice to see him perform so well. Agreed. Stage four, Ewan again. Dude, Ewan looked good, man. Was that the one that was more of an uphill sprint? No, that was stage two. Okay. Yeah, stage two was a slight uphill one, and then stage four was more of a traditional. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think one of those ones he came out of nowhere though. His positioning seemed off, and I think that was stage four. Just kind of threaded it, and it was scary but awesome to to watch. Like somebody who can do that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't bother researching all this before. Like we just wrote it down. <laughs> one day when we're a real podcast, we can do that. Yeah, another sprint stage by Ewan. I mean, he's having a great start to his year. He, it's just an omen for things to come. Like, he has big expectations, and he's already setting the tone. So we expect big things from him. Dude, unexpected. Dude. Nizzolo. Yeah. Stage five. That was great. Like I, yeah, say couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, no, it was an excellent result for him. I mean, that was a great sprint, too. Like, there was lots of stuff going on in that stage, and, you know, seeing them come out on top, you know, seeing, you know, NTT kind of take a victory. You know, I think they had one or two victories last year, like, you know, some low amount in the world tour. Like, you know, seeing to see them win a stage so early is just a good benchmark for them. And, you know, it has nothing to do with their new team manager and, and all that, but still, he gets credit for it. And, you know, great start to their season. And it's great to see, you know, someone sort of a quote-unquote surprise, not the big, you know, Ewan or Bennett or whoever. Well, yeah, especially when they had looked so good, and then they're, I mean, they're there. They didn't crash or anything like that, you know, maybe positioning or whatever, but they're there, and he's out sprinting them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it wasn't a cheap win or anything like that, I guess you, you could call it. It's true. And I will admit, seeing it in the race, like, the NTT jersey looks pretty damn cool. So good. I thought it looked, you know, a lot of these jerseys kind of look stupid, and then when you see them in the TV and you're actually watching them live, like, that, that blue is, I don't, it just works for them. Yeah, well, we, we talked about, like, Bahrain that uh, thought it looked really good, and then you see it out there, and you're just, I don't know if it's, you can only see parts of it. It just doesn't look as good as, as yeah. what it did, just seeing a picture of it. Yeah, I don't think you see a lot of the front of the jersey, right? You see a lot of the back of the jersey, and so you don't see any of those colors. It's just kind of that orange-ish, you know? And, like, but the NTT jersey, though, that blue just, like, sticks out. It, like, there's a lot of blue jerseys in the Peloton, and some people argue, you know, that there's a lot of orange in the Peloton. You know, you'll see that a lot in the Vuelta a San Juan. But, yeah, hats off to their jersey creator. It looks actually pretty good. Yeah, I like that little pronunciation there. Uh, dude, I know. And with my, like, slightly muy, stuffed muy nose. Authentico, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, before we get to that, uh, let's go to stage six, where we uh, got to the final battle of Valunga Hill, right? You got Daryl Impey, who is never going to win a race. He's in, <laughs> somehow in first in this race. He's two seconds ahead of, of Richie Port, and he knows that he can't let Richie Port win on Wollonga Hill because 
as we've seen in the past, he always loses to him on Wollonga Hill because Port never loses on Wollonga Hill. But he's always been pretty close, you know, and so he's been able to limit his losses, but with the time bonus of 10 seconds winning the stage, he doesn't have any time to give. So it was a very tactically interesting race. Yeah, and watching them go up, you you see just them catch the breakaway so quickly up that climb. Well, yeah, I thought they weren't going to catch the breakaway at all. I thought they let the breakaway get too far, which in Mitchelton Scott's case, like, makes sense. They want to get rid of those time bonuses. Yeah. So it was weird. The time gap between the, the peloton and the, and the breakaway seemed too far to catch. But, yeah, I had just never seen one go down so quickly. Like, oh, was I like thought the ticker second. was wrong. It was... It was more than going down more than one second every second. I was just like, what's going on? Yeah, it just kept ticking down. It looked like a timer. Like, it was going down so quick. Yeah, I'd never seen it either. And, like, they just hit it, I guess. They were just waiting to the very last second. And they they caught him, but... Well, I was going to say, and then when you saw how Port started flying up that, you can be like, okay, that's why the ticker was counting down like it was. He's just, you know, anyone from the breakaway that's just kind of is scattered at this point, he's just mopping all of them up and then quickly just overtakes the leaders. Yeah, and then, you know, he, I thought, I mean, he was for sure going to win that stage. He's just flying past everybody. He flies past the last two guys and then the one, you know, Holmes, and I forget who the other guy was that was on him. You know, they latch on his tail for like a second and that guy gets behind and then Holmes just sticks to his wheel, you know, like. You know, he looked like, uh, you know, uh, hold on, I got this. He looked like a GVA just holding onto that. <laughs> or, uh, oh, or your favorite writer. Michael Matthews? Yeah. That guy knows how to suck a wheel. Anyway, yeah, Holmes was just on his wheel. I mean, he was in the breakaway since the very beginning. So, like, I don't I don't blame him. Oh, like, no. <laughs> Port didn't care. You know, I, and I, I'll give Port credit, too. Like, I don't like it when riders attack and someone's with them. And, like, they have no reason to help. And they get mad because they're not helping. It's like, dude, you're the best rider by a long shot. Why would this person ever help you? Yeah, this guy is not not to, you know, diminish him at all, but he's a no-name in comparison. Yeah, it was his, it's his first pro season, you know? Yeah, like, first World Tour win. It's, yeah, like... Spoiler, they, he won. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> the finale of the stage is that Holmes... Perfectly enough, he attacks them right when they crest like this, like stickered crown of Wollonga Hill, KOM Strava symbol on the on the asphalt. Tacked him right there with like a hundred meters to go and and took the win. But Port didn't care. I mean, Port looked great. He was very gracious in his interview. He didn't complain about it. He didn't make any complaint. You know, he's just like, yeah, I got the victory, and that's what I was here for. Like, I've won on Wollonga Hill, you know, eight, millions of times. Like, what's one more? Yeah. I, it- it should be nothing to him, and it probably didn't. You know, Port's victory on the Tour Down Under wasn't as impactful as, like, Deccan Cobb's win at the Tour de France. You know, he won that stage. You know, that was awesome. That was super awesome and super emotional, and Port wasn't that emotional. He hasn't had that much of a setback in his life and his career, but it is a good starting point for him because he's had a couple bad seasons with injuries, and, you know, I think he had allergies or sickness or something a little bit last year. So, um you know, this is a good way to start the season, and hopefully, you know, he can build on his season and take another, you know, like a Perry Nice or something and kind of build up to the tour. Yeah, a nice, you know, I guess a later stage race would would be a, something good to take. Yeah, well, Torino. Nothing like, you know, before, you know, it was always the Tour de Swiss was a good, you know, build up to the Tour. Dauphiné, I guess, would be. Yeah. 
but not so much anymore. Yeah, overall, I thought the Tour Down Under was, you know, delivered a very interesting race, and I think the time bonuses were part of that. Worthwhile watch? I think so. Well, you know, we are recording this a, a, day, a couple days late. You know, life gets in the way, and so we were able to sneak in a few Vuelta a San Juan stages. Uh, we got through the first two of those, and uh, we'll talk about those now. We got stage one. Um, you know, this is a small 2.1 little local race. I thought it was in Colombia, but that's next week or something. But yeah. this is in Argentina. Yeah, this is some hectic sprinting. I mean, I'm going to say what I thought of it. I thought, which, watching it, and I think the writers thought the same thing, is the finish line was sooner than what it was. That's fair. Yeah, they had that little chicane or something. Yeah, and I think there was even a line on the road, and I'm not, you know, just giving, you know, Sagan a pass, but... You are, (laughs) and you will. Many many of the riders, the sprinters that were there, looked confused. Yeah. The, The top guys, because none of the top guys finished in the top three, I don't think. And uh, I feel like it when it's like that and you have big teams and lead-out trains and none of them are there, something happened. That's true. I mean, there was the crash at 3.4 kilometers before the finish, which kind of caused some chaos, right? Which didn't help the situation. I'm sure there was a lot of stuff going on in the earpieces and stuff, but sure, it definitely was a hectic sprint and it did look a little weird watching it and seeing the riders, you're right, like they did look a little off, but... Dude, there was confetti, which was pretty cool. Yeah. You got, I mean, it was probably for the gram. Dude, come on. That was a cool finish. <laughs> no, it looked I cool. I think more races need confetti at the end. Dude, every cross race. Oh, I'm going to get into cross. Are there <laughs> beers? <laughs> Lots of beers. Oh, I'm in. Belgium. Dude. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a pretty hectic sprint. And, you know, before I get to my big burn of the, of the episode, let's get to stage two. Big we, had, burn. we had another, oh, just wait. We had another uh, sprint stage, and this one was won by Gaviria. He's finally, he's back, dude. He's back? No, yeah, he looked good. I mean... He came out of nowhere on this one. Yeah, that was equally as hectic. Watching some of these is just nerve-wracking. And I don't know if it's the camera angle or that there's smaller teams going on and it's not the same dominance of the couple lead-out trains. But it was just really hectic watching that. And I thought there was going to be a crash on there. Yeah. He, he kind of just came out of nowhere. He, he did. And when you watch the replay, like, there was a, it was hectic. And I, I think what it is is, you know, you have big teams. And this is a small race, right? It's not in the World Tour or whatever. So it, it, it has, like, what, three or four World Tour teams in it? You know, it's this premier stage race but not like upper tier right so it's like one step below so it's you have mostly smaller teams and so i think there's a little bit of nerves and energy and you know they're trying to they're competing with these world tour teams and they want to show off and you know these teams are looking at them for like new riders you know so i think there's just a lot of nerves basically and but the the sprints have been hectic so far it's almost as if some uh i can't remember i can't remember everyone's name today a fucking french writer that i hate the sprinter that always ruins every sprint. Oh, that guy's the worst. Demar. Yeah. That guy is the craziest sprinter, and he just he, just sideways, just straight across the road. Oh yeah. And the way he like makes Sagan's elbow move up and hit, you know, Cavendish <laughs> in the head is just crazy. But, was this the burn or no? That oh, was the, the burn's burn. still coming. The oh. burn is still coming. So the burn is who has been the worst sprinter so far this season? Sagan. You guys so disappointing so far. 
Man. He looks terrible. I, I mean, I don't think he's a pure sprinter. And I not think, anymore. Yeah, and I don't think there's been really a stage that specifically suits him yet. I don't know. We didn't. We haven't watched today. I think it. I think it's slight uphill finish. So. Well, today's we, the little fifteen-kilometer time trial. Oh, it's a time trial. Yeah. Oh well, so, never mind. I mean, it ends can, in an uphill though. He could still do well. I mean, he, he could, could do a small. It's fifteen kilometers. Sagan yeah. has been known to put in a heater on a small time trial. So. Yeah, usually ten or less, but. Yeah, but he just doesn't look good. I mean, he. So first of all, props to GCN, right? They've been hosting this race, and they bought the rights or did whatever, and they host them on YouTube, and we can watch it, right? So it's very cool. You don't have to rely on, like, any other websites to watch streamed you know, Well, races, live so. and replays, too, have yeah. been really good. So it's, it's really cool to be able to see it, and I'm looking forward to more of that. That's one thing we've always talked about, to go on a tangent as usual. You know, why don't more places host races or have them, like, like the NBC Sports Gold package where you – you spend 50 bucks a year or whatever to get a bunch of races. Like, I think cyclists in America are willing to spend a little bit of cash to watch races. I definitely am. Yeah, and I think it's good that, you know, a brand or a company you know, like GCN is going out there and trying to advance themselves as well and the sport. But just to, you know, like, we'll step up and we'll buy rights to a smaller race. You know, any company can go out and do something similar. It, it really, I don't think, takes that much because they're not hosting the race, so it's not like you have to do all the setup. You're just, you know, providing the stream, really. And I don't even think they're there. I think they're just still in their home office. Like, I don't think they're actually at, on set. Oh, yeah, I don't think so either. They kind of try to pass it off as if they are, but I don't really think they are. But anyway, um, but nonetheless, like, I think it's pretty cool. And I, I, I never really watched GCN. I'm not a show or, or a YouTube channel that I'm ever really familiar with, so I know that you've watched it. I've seen a few things here and there, but not something I paid attention to, but I definitely am now. I subscribed, you know, like... Cool Patagonia um, bikepacking video that I was going to show you. <laughs> oh, yeah? That's so up your alley, dude. Just saying. Looks awesome. But nonetheless, Sagan looks like shit. That's my whole point. Was during the broadcast, I, they were talking about comments they had in the, in the YouTube that uh, the YouTube, I sound like an old <laughs> on the on the interwebs, <laughs> the interwebs, dude. Yeah, the, uh, the comments during the video where people were just talking shit about Sagan and like how he looks like he's fat and like put on weight and like, dude, everyone's off the Sagan train right now. I mean, he's probably single, single and ready to mingle, dude. He's he's out there probably. I guess, but not with that kind of weight. I think you're the last person that's going to be exiting the Sagan train. Like I, I've already moved on, you know. I'm on the McNulty train. <laughs> I'm on the Alaphilippe train. Hey, I, I stuck with him when he had his his down year, like at a uh, Tinkoff or a year or two or something. I stuck with him. No, I mean I still really. I'll, like be, there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I mean the thing about that is, is like all jokes aside, like I really do enjoy him as a racer. I just don't typically, you know, cheer for him as much because, you know, you and me and we have one other friend that watches racing, and so you guys both really like Sagan, so I kind of just take a backseat to that and pick someone else just for, like, arguing during the race. It does seem as if he's burned a little bright and he's fading a little bit, and it's always tough to watch. It could be just that, you know, it's also the motivation and a lot of stuff. But, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely say his season's over in, in this tune-up race that's... Not even a world tour. Oh, yeah. No, that seems We'll reasonable. definitely say I'm that. I'm calling it, dude. Shots fired. Sagan is not going to take On pure sprint stages, yeah. for sure. You gave everybody else a pass when there was a crash, but, you know, that's fine. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, oh, I wanted to talk about that crash, too, real quick on stage one. So it was caused by 
uh, a spectator leaned in, right, which I can't stand, and it, we were talking about this, and it reminded me of, like, you know, my favorite race is the Vuelta España, mostly because they have the, the military just clotheslining and just checking people off of the road. It's amazing. It's one of the best races I've ever seen. And I was a little bummed because last year they didn't have any that I saw. But the, the previous couple of years, they may just, maybe they got told to tone down, but like they'll just like, you know, hike up the, you know, the side of the road and they'll just plow people over. I love it. Just military fatigues, like, <laughs> yeah. ber- like green beret looking. Oh, they look evil. Like I'm just, I wish they had AR-15s or something, <laughs> like some rifles or something. And like, that would just, that would just make the race even better. Any selfie stick, you're you're out. <laughs> oh man, it's just like all those assholes that have all the smoke, you know, on the mountains. Oh like, yeah. Oh, those guys are gone for the gram. Oh, I, I feel bad for riders have to go through that shit. Anyway, I'm the king of tangents, so. Well, we're gonna end on a tangent, I guess. So th- that's the end of this episode. We've reached the finale. I have no more notes. Yeah, it's it's dead air now yeah. or dead screen, whatever whatever we're looking at here. We're looking at dead screen. It's it's a white screen. It's our Google Doc. It's uh it's empty. All right. Well, I think that's a good spot to end. Yeah, we'll see you next week. We'll have the final results of the Volta San Juan and uh, whatever else pops up during the week. Until then, have a good one. See you.